Hello, hello, hello. Uh, I think we're live. I hope my audio is all working okay and everything. Uh, this is a new show here on TFR, Truth Frequency Radio. I'm honored to be a part of the Truth Frequency Radio community. And uh, my show is called Comrades in Farms. So um, I guess I should start out with telling you a little bit about myself and where I come from. Um, <laughs> Are you hearing me okay, Brent? Let's see if we got audio coming through. Looks like it is. Wonderful. Okay. Uh, I'm new to TFR, so uh, it's my first time connecting and broadcasting, so I hope you'll bear with me while I uh, sort of get things together here. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, uh, so uh, comrades and farms. Why comrades and farms? Uh, because as farmers and consumers, as human beings in general, we need to come together and work together to build a better planet and a healthier, happier place. Um, there are a lot of hazards in our current agricultural and food systems today and uh, I well I guess I should back up and start out where I started from I grew up in a small town in upstate New York called Red Hook New York uh, my family uh, were farmers uh, apple and dairy farmers um, and uh, and many other uh, adventures along through that um, Let's see, we did trout farming and tree farming and, and so many other pieces to the puzzle. Um, but So I grew up around farms, uh, but I grew up in a, small, in a small town and I wasn't living on a farm as I grew up, but I grew up around the family farm pieces and I got to participate and be around those. And so my passion for farming grew out of that. And then uh, I started my own garden um, back in uh, 1999. Um, and. Uh, so from there, I just kind of got more and more inspired, and uh, I, I found uh, I found myself doing more and more gardening and actually wanting to get into farming. So uh, I did start doing some small-scale farming, and I'm still a small-scale farmer homesteader here. Uh, but in 2013, I came across a man named John Kempf at the 2013 NOFA conference. That's the Northeastern Organic Farmers Association conference, and. Uh, so at that conference, they, uh, they get together every year, uh, and that's uh, sort of a co-venture between the Northeastern Organic Farmers Association and uh, the Bionutrient Food Organization uh, out of Massachusetts. And so uh, I came across uh, well, many good speakers at the 2013 conference, and I should be clear, I didn't actually even make it to the conference. I was fortunate enough to be able to find the Bionutrient Food Association website through my research, and uh, I found their library and archive, and so I listened to the 2013 NOFA conference through that. And one of the speakers that really inspired me was a man named John Kempf. Um, John Kempf grew up in Ohio, and uh, his father's farm was one of the biggest pesticide dealers in the area that he grew up in. And uh, as he grew up, he, he watched different crops uh, start to crash more and more over time. And he realized that the pesticides and chemicals that they were using were having less and less effect on trying to save those crops. And, uh, and then uh, he really hit a paradigm shift at one point when his father's farm took over a neighboring piece of property that had not been sprayed in chemicals and when they planted their crop across this line, there was a distinctive line about 18 inches 
uh, a total difference between plants that were crashing, those that were in the pesticide system, and plants that were thriving. And that's what really caught John's attention and made him go, hey, you know, what is the difference 18 inches away in the same soil that makes one plant die and one plant is thriving and isn't, isn't dying of disease or pests? So that's what inspired him. And we, when he spoke of that, it really struck resonance with me. And, uh, and so that's what inspired me to research into regenerative agriculture. And I've learned a tremendous amount about regenerative agriculture. And the learning just doesn't stop. It never ends. Um, the more experience I gain, the more subtle things I notice that are different. And uh, I just it's just a constant learning curve. And I keep adding pieces to the system and trying to build and stack on that. Uh, on that uh, that basis, I guess, that foundation, so to speak, on that soil, shall we say. So, um, so from there, basically, everything comes back to soil health. If you have soil health, you have plant health, and if you have plant health, you have human health. Um, so, uh, I guess that's kind of a, a basic layout of where I come from. Um, I, my goal is to help other people understand what truly healthy... Uh, plants and living systems are and how those systems integrate and uh, and build them in you know and how to how to build those systems rapidly um, and through that we can grow healthier food for people and restore people's health and prevent many of these diseases and illnesses and at the same time we can regenerate our planet rebuild our soils and rebuild our ecosystems and leave a better planet behind for our children uh, than we inherited, uh, because that's how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to make it better as we go. And uh, in the last 50 years or so, unfortunately, um, many of the big agricultural systems have been going the other direction and crashing soils. And, and, and uh, human health is going with that. Um, I have been fortunate enough through my YouTube channel to make connections with many other regenerative farmers and, uh, and, and even now, recently, my friend uh, Grow the Farm Up on the uh, YouTube channel, Grow the Farm Up, uh, he's actually an organic seed breeder out in Nebraska, and uh, we've had some excellent conversations just through chat. At some point, I hope to get him on, on as a guest, and uh, I think he will come on. He sounded uh, open to doing that. Um, I did not schedule any guests for tonight, uh, just because I want to sort of launch my show and kind of figure out the... Th the uh, the control panel and, and sort of get things sorted. Um, so I guess that's sort of a background. Uh, I'm going to take a look at the chat here and just see what's going on. I see that uh, Brent is Brent and Bomber are here in the TFR live chat, and uh, I see a confident legend and kind specimen. Uh, so it's good to see you guys. And uh, I want to say a very special thank you actually to Brent Thomas of the Paranormal Portal. Uh, which is here on TFR and also on the Paranormal Portal YouTube channel and on just about every other podcast platform you can imagine and some of you probably we haven't even imagined yet. Uh, anyway, I want to say a very, very special thank you to Brent because uh, Brent uh, sort of helped me uh, get connected to TFR and uh, he's had me on his show as a guest a couple times. We've talked about nutrition and spirituality and water and many other cool things and I, I really appreciate Brent's help and uh, I hope you'll go check out his show and his channel. Uh, he puts on an excellent show, uh, investigating the paranormal, and uh, many, many interesting topics are studied. He's had many really interesting guests. 
So I, I do hope you go check him out as well. Uh, also, I want to say a very special thank you to Lucky of Quantum Connections. She's also got a show here on TFR Live. If you're not aware, you should check out Quantum Connections. Uh, and she also has a Truth Frequency News YouTube channel. Uh, you should definitely check her stuff out as well. She's had me on as a guest also, and she's also uh, been very helpful in facilita facilitating having me come on TFR Live. Uh, and although I haven't actually spoken with Mr. Chris Gio, I want to say a special thank you to him as well because I know he's doing many things behind the scenes that help uh, keep TFR Live up and running. So um, so that's that. And I don't really see much going on here in the uh, in the TFR chat at the moment. I know I'm kind of a new show, so I wasn't really expecting a whole lot of guests there. But here over on the YouTube channel, I do see uh, some chat going on. So I think I'm going to check in with people here and uh, just see what's going on and see if I've missed anything here. So it looks like uh, looks like Geeky Gardens is here. Thank you, Geeky, and YTFP Chris, and Bomber, and uh, yeah, looks like that's who's in chat for now. Uh, thank you guys for uh, coming over and checking out the show. I appreciate your uh, support. Um, is there anything you guys want to talk about tonight, or would like me to uh, go into more? Uh, anything I've talked about so far tonight that you'd like me to elaborate on? Um, I'd love to hear back from you in the chat on that. Um, oh boy, what else? So many other things going on in my head here. Uh, it's kind of hard to <laughs> know where I'm going. Uh, looks like uh, looks like the sound is coming through on YouTube. Okay, so that's good. I'm, uh, happy about that. And uh, no lagging. So all right, good. Um, well, what else? Uh, so uh, so let's see. So uh, that I started in twenty thirteen. I went to got to twenty thirteen and John Kemp. So in twenty thirteen, I started studying regenerative agriculture. I heard John uh, John's uh, well. I heard the nutrition conference in spring of twenty thirteen. I want to say late February, early March, and was super inspired. I had uh, just moved to this farm well a year or two before that, and. Uh, I had sort of given given up, given up on farming for a while because uh, this place wasn't electric fenced or protected, and none of these fields were in production at, in, at the time. In fact, most of them were overgrown with uh, rose bushes and uh, trees and all sorts of stuff. So uh, I, I kind of messed around with yanking out some rose bushes and uh, playing around with some uh, different crops, corn and tomatoes and beans and. Uh, and some other perennials and stuff, but uh, I wasn't real super enthused initially. Um, but as I learned and listened more to John Kempf, uh, I started really studying the uh, the micro ecosystems that surround um, healthy soils. And so, I, like one of the things I noticed was where the rose bushes grew, there was a zone right around the drip line, which is basically where the root line sort of ends, the root fiber hairs of the roots end. And around that zone, that soil was tremendously darker than the rest of the soil here. We have uh, we have a, a very heavy uh, clay soil here that's very light in color. And so, when there's high organic matter in it, or when there's when that soil has been built up really well, it's very evident from the rest of the soil here. And so, I started uh, pulling out rose bushes with my truck and a chain, and planting in the spaces where the rose bushes were. And I started planting rows into the spaces where the rose bushes were and out of the spaces where they weren't. This is sort of based on the thing that John Kemp was talking about, uh, fields that were in production and where the soils were more healthy and fields that weren't. And I noticed a 
tremendous difference in growth just based on what the rose bushes had done to the soil as far as building carbon and soil biology. So that inspired me to continue and I started clearing some space here and then in 2016 a friend of mine loaned me his tractor and so I cleared out about an acre and a half, almost two acres here and electric fenced it in. Um, and I, I started uh, planting planting more crops here and working with uh, foliar feeds, uh, which I can get into. Uh, foliar feeds is basically a way of feeding plants through their leaf surface. Uh, it's a much faster way of getting nutrients to the plants, and so you can uh, you can address trace mineral and and macro mineral deficiencies very rapidly, much more rapidly uh, than you can through. Uh, through making soil amendments and that's uh, especially important when it comes to organic production because many of the organic nutrients that we would put on soil take you know most of them take at least a week some of them take months before they start to break down and become available through biology and become available to the plants so the foliar feed gives us a way to to go in and find a trace mineral deficiency using plant sap analysis and then target that specific deficiency and fix it very rapidly and those plants can absorb those nutrients in anywhere between 15 minutes and 48 hours and so they can have a tremendous response and the added benefit of that is you a you increase photosynthesis increase photosynthesis dramatically and that brings the total energy of the plant up and in doing so that puts more sugars uh, out in production from photosynthesis and when plants have excess sugars they put those sugars back into the soil those sugars feed the soil microbiology and uh, <laughs> those sugars feed the soil microbiology and then that soil microbiology releases more nutrients so when you do a foliar feed you don't just get the benefit of the foliar feed you get the benefit of the foliar feed and then sort of a shockwave echo back that comes from the soil and the more that you do that the more that you amplify that cycle of, of plants and soil interacting with each other the greater the energy you raise of the plants, the greater energy you raise in the soil, and that much better things grow. And at, and at a point, you get the bricks level, the energy level of the plant high enough that you don't have to fold your feed, but when you do, it has a really super powerful, massive effect. Um, so those are just some of the pieces. Uh, so uh, anyway, so I started farming it, and then let's see, I put in some irrigation with a ram pump, uh, and then uh, I got some chickens. I got Icelandic chickens. Um, I used the chickens with the chicken tractor to build the soils. Uh, the last couple of years I've been working on cover crops. Um, and so I'm starting to integrate all these pieces and systems. And then uh, in 2018, November of 2018, I actually got uh, honeybees. And I'd wanted honeybees for quite some time, but I'd never, uh, never had them before. My mom had kept bees when I was a kid, and so I was somewhat familiar with it, but I really didn't know all that much about it. And uh, when a friend sold, uh, decided to sell, he was going to sell a bunch of his homesteading stuff, including his honeybees, I ended up picking them up. And I got three hives and a bunch of equipment, and so I brought them home in November of 2018, knowing absolutely nothing about honeybees. And uh, I spent basically the winter of 2018 to 2019 trying to learn as much as I could about honeybees so I could manage them through 2019 into 2020. And uh, those colonies have fluctuated up and down over, over the last couple of years, but uh, I've learned a lot about honeybees and, uh, and I've found it really exciting to integrate uh, the, 
the foliar feed system and the regenerative agriculture and the cover cropping with the honeybees because uh, now I can build soils and produce honey crops and produce uh, food crops all in the same space simultaneously. So that gets really exciting uh, when you start to put all those pieces together. And I see uh, Cha Cha just came into the chat. So hello, Cha Cha. Good to see you in here. Thanks for coming along. And uh, yeah, so uh, uh, let's see. So I have a comment here from YTFP Chris. Uh, subjects, if you get stuck, uh, foliar feeding bees, Korean farming, soil testing, current crops, and chickens. Yeah, okay. So that's lots of stuff. Uh, let me just check and see if there's anyone in TFR chat. I don't want to uh, don't want to miss anybody. I uh, see uh, Brenton Bomber is still over there. Okay, cool. Um, let's see. So yeah, so I have honeybees. Uh, talked about foliar feeding a little bit. Uh, Korean farming. Uh, I haven't delved real deep into this, but Korean farming basically uses harvesting indigenous microorganisms or organisms available in your local ecosystems and then uh, basically amplifying, amplifying those into... Uh, into compost teas or into composts or into, uh, I think they use like a rice meal or something like that for one of them. Um, but it's based on the concept of using what's naturally available in your environment to supply nutrition for your farming operations so that you really are a closed loop farming system. Uh, it's a very interesting field of study. And in fact, uh, on the Bionutrient Food Organization website, which is uh, bionutrient.org, if you go to their site and you go to the library, I forget which year it is. It might be 2014 or 2015. There's a there's a whole series from a guy on Korean natural farming in there, and that is some excellent information about Korean natural farming if you want to learn more about it. Of course, there's all kinds of stuff on YouTube and podcasts about it as well, but um, very, very interesting uh, topic of study. And uh, at some point, I probably will try to get back and, uh, and integrate some of those practices more. Um, one of the things they do, they basically take a wood box and they take uh, rice, they boil it about half as long as you would normally boil it so that it's, it's broken down a little bit but not completely broken down to, uh, to a sugary starchy. Okay, then we put that in the wooden box and we, we bury that in the soil in the woods where, you know, where there are lots of microbes, uh, especially, you know, fungi and that kind of stuff. And I think they leave it out there for uh, anywhere between two weeks and a month and a half, depending on the time of year, the environment, uh, you know, how much moisture is in the soil at the time, that kind of thing. And basically all the fungi and bacteria that are in the woods that are making all this wonderful mulch in the woods and all that nice thick black layer on top of the soil under those leaves, they, they integrate into the rice because it's another organic material and they inhabit it. And then you take that and you can create uh, different uh, microbial inoculants from that. And for those who don't know, oh yeah, I'm simulcasting, friend. <laughs> for those who don't know, uh, biology in soil with plants is the trump card. Uh, you can put all the nutrition on in the world and if the plants can't access it, if, if they can't get to that nutrition, it doesn't have any effect. Um, so, and, and what it comes down to is biology sort of acts as the interface between soils and plants. And uh, actually John Kempf describes it as uh, soil is the digestive tract of the plant. Um, 
So just like we have a digestive tract and we use all that biology in our gut to break down nutrients and make them available in a form that we can absorb them in, the soil is the same thing for plants. And so uh, plants and soils are always feeding each other. So uh, let's see. Fungi just haven't washed the feet before it comes in the tent. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Uh, what else? Uh, oh, soil testing. Yeah. Uh, that's actually something I have to get back to here. I've been meaning to for five, six, seven, I don't know, what, 20, 30, seven years now, I guess I've been meaning to test soil here. And I, I haven't gotten around to doing a soil test. But one thing that I did do last year that is a really, really powerful tool is plant sap analysis. So plant sap analysis is a little bit different than typical or conventional uh, plant material testing. Uh, most of the time, or previous to current, or previous to where the future is going actually, uh, uh, plant testing was done through basically gas chromatography where they take a piece of dry plant material and they vaporize it and then they, they take the constituents out of that and they figure out what was in it. The problem is uh, th that's not inside of a living system. So you're not looking at what's actually in the living system. Hello, Cookie Jarvis, good to see you. So with plant sap analysis, we're able to actually take the plant sap itself and look at basically what the nutritional profile of the plant sap is. And we can learn a tremendous amount about the plant's health from that. And in fact, if you're using plant sap analysis and testing every two weeks, you can actually uh, I think it's up to three weeks before a deficiency shows up visually on a plant and starts to express itself. You can detect that deficiency and correct for it before it would even be visually available or visually noticeable on the plant. Um, so plant sap testing is a very powerful tool and despite its extreme expense, I went out of my way and did a plant sap test last year on my crimson beefsteak tomatoes because I really wanted to understand what deficiencies I had, um, what, what deficiencies I had specifically in those plants, specifically on this soil, and specifically in the nutritional program that I have them in. Because you have to remember I'm using foliar feeds and attempting sort of shooting from the hip to address nutritional deficiencies based on my visual observations and my knowledge of soil health, which as extensive as it is, is still very limited because soil is a very complex system. And uh, so, uh, so I did a plant sap analysis test. That test is pretty expensive. It was uh, $65 for the test and uh, $75 to ship the test. Um, but uh, I did a video on it and you can go check it out here on my YouTube channel. Uh, it's called plant sap analysis. Um, I forget the full title, but if you search plant sap analysis on my channel, you'll find it. Um, and so it's, uh, it's an incredibly powerful tool. And so that's, that's what I used to get recommendations from advancing eco agriculture to make corrections on my tomatoes this year. And I can tell you that even though I put my tomatoes in about a month and a half later this year, uh, <laughs> because 2020 has been crazy as I'm sure you can't have your head in the sand that far. Uh, so, um, so, uh, anyway, my tomatoes went in really late this year and, uh, 
and I'm still seeing tremendous growth results uh, because I'm able to tune exactly what the nutritional deficiencies were and I'm able to correct for those through foliar feeds and through soil amendments and uh, the growth is just explosive. Um, at the end of the season I probably will go back and do like a time-lapse clips of uh, uh, you know of the evolution of those growing and I'll, and I'll put dates on them and you'll see just how fast they grow and then now we're into the heavy frame building phase where they do this huge growth spurt and they've literally grown at least two feet in the last three days it's it's mind-blowing how fast it happens um, so uh, <clears throat> so that's that uh, let me check back in on the chat here <laughs> yes cha cha fun guy is a fun guy uh, check with Paul Stamets he's a fun guy <laughs> Uh, uh, <coughs> let's see. Um, uh, yes, Daddy Brent joined us in the, in the YouTube chat. <laughs> uh, let's see. All right, looks like I'm caught up on chat. I'm going to go over here and check on TFR Live chat. No cha-cha on the roster over in TFR Live. Cha-cha, you're slacking. You're slacking. And uh, it looks like it is 12.26, and so it looks like we're coming up on the break here shortly. So, uh, I don't know, I guess, uh, <clears throat> I guess if you want to know more about uh, my YouTube channel. Oh, there we go. I think that's it. Alrighty, we're back from the break. Thank you for sticking with us here on TFR, Truth Frequency Radio. This is Comrades in Arms uh, with Carlton Moore. Uh, you can also see us over on the Pharmacy Seeds Network on YouTube. Pharmacy spelled F-A-R-M-A-C-Y, as in let food be thy medicine. I have a question here in the chat on YouTube uh, uh, from Frakomi D. Uh, he's asking about my foliar feed method and what I use. So I guess I'm going to go into foliar feeds a little bit. Because uh, this is an excellent topic and a super super powerful tool, as far as uh, as far as really accelerating plant health and being able to use plants to build soils very very rapidly. Um, so I use a wide range of products, but they're all from the company Advancing Eco Agriculture. Um, <laughs> mostly because I don't know where to find other I don't know where to find another company that makes the products of a the quality and B that I know how to use and C that I know what's in them and what they're targeted for and so because advancing eco agriculture you should definitely check out their YouTube channel it's advancing eco agriculture and their website at advancing eco agriculture.com uh, you should check those out so I buy all my nutrients from them uh, and I use a, a, a range of products based on what I'm doing um, like for example uh, I grow sweet corn and buckwheat and uh, I'm working on other crops here uh, to add to that that are like cereal crops, grass, grain crops, uh, because they're very powerful soil building tools. And um, and so one of the one of the products from Advancing Eco Agriculture that I use is called something called Forage Foliar Feed. And it's designed specifically for forage crops. Um, and so so I always try to use foliar feeds that are targeted to do the specific jobs that I want. Um, and, and the specific job that I'm really after is increasing photosynthesis. But, um, but you always have to keep in mind that, that that comes back to a bunch of 
biological processes and a bunch of chain pieces that happen within those processes that all have to happen and if one piece of that chain is missing you have a broken link and now it can't happen right so uh, one of the videos that I did or I actually started to do a series and I have to get back to it on my channel here is uh, is the biochemical sequence of nutrition in plants and it sort of goes into like the base the base uh, mineral nutrition that goes into photosynthesis happening in plant growth and how that chain of events works and how critical that is. Um, so so I, I target my feeds based on that uh, but you know uh, it, it really comes down to what I'm growing. Um, for example uh, I guess uh, I guess I'll give you an example. Like, do you have a particular plant that you'd like an example that I'm that I'm caring for? Uh, let's see, a cucumber and squash plant you're growing. Okay, so like for my squash plants, I use a few different products from Advancing Eco Agriculture. And I know this sounds like a plug for AEA, but again, I don't know where else to get the stuff. Uh, I really believe in John Kempf and his company. Those guys are doing a fantastic job educating the world and revitalizing our farming systems and. Uh, and what they're doing now is literally 20 years ahead of the mainstream agricultural system when it finally comes around and and, and corrects, which it will eventually. Consumer demand will, will drive that market over time. And it's already heavily driving that market. Um, but I don't want to get into economics too much here. Uh, but so uh, for for my cucumbers, well, I don't I haven't grown cucumbers in a couple of years, um, but squash I do. And uh, they're similar because they're both in the cucurbit family, as you probably know. Um, so I uh, I use a combination of forage foliar seed, uh, sea shield. Uh, sometimes I'll use a little sea stem. I'll use that early in the season. That's uh, that's from a very uh, deep cold seaweed. It's a basically a seaweed product. But what it does is it stimulates uh, really good root growth without uh, adding a lot of extra phosphorus because you can actually suppress uh, phosphorus exchange later in the season. If you have too much phosphorus, you can actually suppress the, the fungi that help support exchange of phosphorus to, to roots. So um, uh, so that's a, a, a skeletum, I think. I forget the exact name, the pronunciation of the seaweed, but it's harvested from a super deep cold seaweed. And uh, that's great for for stimulation and also stimulates the immune system of the plant early on. So what I like to do is build plants that are really strong and have high immunity systems and producing high essential oils and as much uh, amino acids and proteins and like higher level polyphenols that I can get them to do. So if you, I don't know if you're familiar with the plant health pyramid, but if you're not, you should have a look at the plant health pyramid because it'll really help you understand how plant health works. Uh, as plant health increases, resistance to pests and diseases increases. Um, and you can reach a point where plants are basically resistant to pests and diseases completely. Um, so uh, let's see, so forage foliar, sea shield, uh, sea stem early in the season for root growth, and then as we go later into the season, uh, I, I'll, usually I would lean more toward the forage foliar feed and I'd back off the sea shield a little bit. Uh, sea shield is a combination of crab shell and salmon and a few other components. I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's got chitin in it, which is uh, really good for uh, certain microbial communities. Uh, I think especially the trichoderma. Um, so, 
so like a combination of those is what I would use for squash or cucumbers, that kind of thing. Again, though, uh, you really want to know, you know, you, you want to apply something that, that makes sense for your soil. You know, if your soil has enough of something and you're applying extra to it, you can end up with an excess and then you can end up taking your balance out and you can actually cause yourself loss rather than gain. So that's why it's always important to, to understand what's in your soil, how your plants are growing, what their deficiencies actually are. If possible, do a plant sap analysis test. I understand if you're in a garden, that's a crazy expensive test to do. And honestly, you probably don't even have the material you need to do it. It takes a quart of two week old leaves and a quart of new leaves to even do that test. So, uh, so even on a hundred foot row of tomatoes here for me, I was clipping a pretty good amount of leaf matter off. Um, uh, but so I don't know. I hope I hope that that helps answer your question. If there's more I can elaborate on, don't be afraid to ask more. Uh, Francomi D. Uh, let me see. Uh, takes only a few seconds. Put a name in. Came for. Oh, good Lord, cha cha. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, I'm just rolling down through the chat here. Uh, yeah. Okay. So that's that, and I'm gonna go take a look at the uh, chat. Oh, we got Geeky Gardens came into the TFR chat, so that's cool. Um, so like, so that's what I would do for squash, uh, for corn, uh, similar program, more leaning on the forage foliar because it's really targeted specifically for corn. It really kind of has the the nutritional profile you want for corn, and actually that forage foliar feed is actually a combination of four different. Uh, four different other AEA products, but it's just blended specifically for forages. Uh, super powerful tool if you use it on a, a crop, like a grass crop or a forage crop for grazing. Uh, they were showing some of those, uh, some of the tests that they did when they did foliar feeds, they found literally 24 hours later, cow milk fat went from like 4% to 8% uh, on, on milking and stuff. So it's really amazing how fast the foliar feed can have an effect on plant health and on you know everything that happens down the food chain from that okay a lot of good resources good good I'm glad uh, I'm, I'm glad that helps and uh, yes definitely check out the plant health pyramid and uh, and I think uh, I think advancing agriculture has a, uh, a video on plant sap analysis you should check that out and a lot of their other videos, they're putting out a new webinar at least an hour a week of just incredible detailed information. They're good interviews with long-time scientists. I mean, these are people that have been in agriculture for, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. And, uh, and they really have a good understanding of soil and plant health and what works and what doesn't practically and, uh, and how to scale things and just just amazing information you know uh 50 or 60 years ago you know like like my grand my great grandfather knew how to do this stuff my grandfather kind of came into the post world war 2 system where uh you know where everything was like chemical and nitrate fertilizer based and and didn't you know didn't really know better and he was using pesticides in his orchards and all that kind of stuff and uh, and and so now you know, 
now we've come around to where we kind of understand that those chemicals are really have negative effects. Uh, many of these pesticides are endocrine disruptors. Um, and if you're not familiar, the human endocrine system is very, very, very sensitive. If you took all of the hormones from all of, all of the men on the planet Earth and you put them all in a pile, it weigh about 70 pounds. And if you took all the hormones from all the women on the earth and you put them in a pile, you'd have about seven pounds. Uh, I think that's accurate, but it's in that range. And so that might give you sort of an idea why women tend to be more sensitive to uh, toxins and to hormone disruption. Um, they have a lot less hormones in their system, and so they're consequently a lot more sensitive. But uh, these compounds that are hormone mimickers are, you know, they have a lot of negative effects on soil health, on human health, on plant health, and they're active at very, very, very low concentrations. Um, one of the talks that, uh, that I heard, <laughs> I'm not even going to say the name of the person who gave the talk, but one of the talks that I heard, he really drilled into uh, some of the dangers of glyphosate and how, uh, how that chemical compound is active at very, very, very small concentrations. I think the analogy that he made was the equivalent of seven drops in an Olympic-sized swimming pool is active and suppressing biology. Um, so that gives you an idea just how, how, uh, how persistent some of these chemicals really are and how much negative effect they really have in soil systems, plant systems, animal health, human health, and on down the food chain. Uh, so let's see. Uh, yeah, somebody's giving away my secrets here. Geeky says I'm a wealth of knowledge. That's not... That's, you're giving away my secrets, Geeky. <laughs> well, I, I try to be. I try to share what I learn. Uh, but thank you for the kind words, Geeky. I appreciate it. Uh, let's see. Francomi D says, My garden is very small. It's in a parking lot structure, but I'm determined to prove the soil where I can. Yeah, uh... I know exactly what you mean, and, and you know, at the end of the day, really, the scale doesn't matter. You can do, you can do anything you can do on a commercial scale, you can do on a small scale. You may have to use different tactics or techniques to achieve that goal, but it's possible and doable. And, uh, and I'm, I'm doing a lot of that kind of stuff here, you know, I'm, uh, like, again, you know, I'm studying stuff from Advancing Agriculture and Northeastern Organic Farmers Association. You know, these are guys that are doing, you know, five-acre vegetable farms. If you've ever farmed five acres of vegetables, you got to know how much work and rotation and planning. Uh, it's just, it's a lot. And, uh, and so, so a lot of these farms are like, you know, they're big-scale farms. They're actual big farming operations. And I'm really kind of a homesteader, but I've been able to replicate a lot of those pieces on a smaller scale. And, um, man... When you get it right, it's really amazing. I, uh, I was just out in my uh, corn block today, and I've got uh, buckwheat uh, planted as a cover crop underneath my sweet corn um, for a couple of reasons. As a weed suppressor, also as a soil builder, buckwheat unlocks a bunch of trace mineral nutrition, especially phosphorus. Uh, it also has some nematode suppression. and. Um, and then the big thing for me, now that I have honeybees, is it's an excellent honey crop. And I've been waiting the last couple days as these flowers have been opening, waiting for my honeybees to go in them. And yesterday the flowers looked pretty open, and I went through this last year because I watched them for about a week going, 
why aren't the bees going in my buckwheat? And sure enough, today I went out there and man, those flowers had opened up and it was just buzzing with honeybees. So it's really rewarding to be able to take and plant a crop as a cover crop. It's not even a main crop. You're just like sort of filling in the space and at the same time be building soil and have a honey producing crop all in one piece. It's just, uh, it's really rewarding to, uh, to come out and find that those pieces are all really falling together. Very exciting. Uh, so what I'm saying is uh, don't be discouraged by scale. Uh, and look into cover cropping. Cover cropping is a really powerful tool. Um, there's lots of stuff you can do and when you get the diversity higher and you get the microbe activity higher you'll start to see really explosive results in your in your garden or grow space. I have a question here from Bomber. Uh, too many people don't realize what salt as table salt is toxic to consume. Will you talk to us about the importance of salt minerals for a body and the difference in quality of the salt options available? Uh, yeah, I could do that. Um, my go-to is pink Himalayan salt. Um, so, I guess most people, uh, well, I, don't know. I don't know that many people actually that use iodized salt that much anymore, although there are a few still. Um, the iodized salt is just sodium chloride that really doesn't have any trace mineral nutrition. I use uh, the pink Himalayan salt because it has about, has all 90 trace minerals in it and uh, they keep studying human health and the more they study it, the more they find each one of these trace minerals supports some enzymatic function and so you want a little bit and you know trace minerals very small amounts but you need a little bit to make it happen uh, most people don't know that you actually need a little bit of arsenic um, it's critical for blood uh, same thing in plants I forget what it does in plants but you know down the list everything Everything that could be seen as toxic is only toxic in high concentrations. Um, anyway, so back to the salts. Uh, yeah, I use like a pink Himalayan sea salt. Uh, if you're on YouTube, you can see uh, my pink Himalayan sea salt shaker. Uh, and that's loaded with trace mineral nutrition. And actually, if you look up, uh, if you do a Google search, pink Himalayan salt, uh, 90 trace minerals, human health or something like that. There's a really good uh, article on it. I think it's actually a PDF. Um, so yeah, uh, those salts are important. Uh, or those uh, those trace minerals are important for many different enzymatic functions. Uh, I guess I should just briefly address enzymes. Uh, if you don't know what an enzyme is, an enzyme sort of acts uh, as an accelerator for biological processes or for processes in general. One of the simplest uh, examples of an enzyme is an enzyme called amylase. That's the one that's in our saliva. That's the one that breaks starches down into simple sugar. So that's like the first part of our digestive system. Now, can you imagine eating a piece of bread or a plate of pasta and having that sit in your stomach for hours and hours and hours until those starches broke down to sugars because there's no amylase in your saliva to break them down? It would take you days to digest it. So that's a good example of an enzyme and how it accelerates processes. Well, each enzyme is basically a trace mineral coated in a protein shell. And so all these different enzymes that support all these different processes, there's enzymes for every different kind of a process you can imagine in the human system, in plant systems, in soil systems, all of them require enzymes. And uh, 
And so without those trace minerals, those enzymes can't be built. And without those enzymes being built, many processes don't function like they're supposed to. And uh, you know, all it takes is one not functioning correctly, and that makes a, a break in the link of the chain. And now you're not, you know, you're not operating at a healthy level uh, on a cellular level. Uh, so I don't know. I hope that kind of touches on it. Uh, I guess I kind of spider webbed in 15 different directions, as Brent would say. <laughs> Uh, let's see, I've got just three main uh, 4x16 beds, and I find a lot of this stuff applies to me as well. Uh, that's from Geeky Gardens here on the YouTube chat. And uh, yeah, yeah, uh, it's it's amazing how well it scales. I, uh, I, I, uh, I got a response to a video I did uh, on my friend uh, Grow the Farm Up on his YouTube channel. I uh, did a video, and I mentioned him in it because uh, we had been talking back and forth and I was really inspired and excited by our conversation and uh, he was saying uh, <laughs> uh, I'm losing my train of thought here <laughs> uh, oh he was saying uh, back to Kiki's thing about scale and uh, and Falcone uh, he was saying uh, <laughs> yes Brent you've been known to spider web from time to time that's okay we like the spider webs we like the spider webs um, he was saying that, that he was really enjoying watching my YouTube channel because he could actually see things down almost to the microbial level. He was appreciating being able to study these pieces at a smaller scale where you, it's easier to see what's going on when you're looking at a small area. Whereas if you're out planting, you know, 20 acres of corn, it's hard to even like take a look at 20 acres of corn let alone take a look at it in detail and notice the differences between one soil area and another or one treatment area and another. Um, so, you know, again, uh, scale, it scales, it all scales. And, uh, and like I said, there may be a different tactical way to do it, but it all scales. Um, I'm in the process of trying to push everything I do over to no-till. That's been difficult for me. I don't really have the right equipment for it. I don't really have a tractor with a three-point hitch. And I don't have a, uh, a roller crimper or a roller chopper, uh, but I'm exploring building some sort of a roller chopper uh, device to go behind my lawnmower uh, to do it on sort of a small scale and, uh, and try it out. Um, I haven't finished developing that yet, but I'm, I'm thinking about it and I'm planting cover crops. Uh, and planning toward that, and then uh, even if even if I don't have that developed, I can still mow those cover crops down, uh, just mow them down and use the mulch from that. But I'm getting better and better at growing my mulches in place and building my soils at the same time. Um, I've spent a tremendous amount of time uh, mowing and raking and collecting mulches from various other parts of the farm here in an attempt to keep soils covered and protect biology and build organic matter. And I find that's really time consuming and uh, it's, it uses a lot of equipment, it uses a lot of fuel, it takes a lot of passes in and out of an area and the more passes you go in and out of an area with any kind of machinery, even if it's a lawnmower sized machine, you're compacting soils and so now you're reducing uh, the soil's health and biology. So anytime we can reduce the number of times we drive and traffic over top of something, uh, that really helps to decrease compaction and improve soil uh, fertility. But uh, So I'm trying to make it so that I'm growing my mulches right in place from the soil. And so that does a couple of things. That builds soil, 
but at the same time it, it cuts down all the all that extra fuel cost time and energy to uh, you know cut and rake and transport and spread uh, mulches down so my goal uh, I planted uh, buckwheat cover crops in most of the spots and then uh, I'm, I'm over the next uh, month or month and a half I'm seeding rye into that as a cover crop so that when the buckwheat frost kills uh, I will probably roll that down over the rye and then the rye will come up through and be a green growing cover crop still collecting sunlight and putting sequestering carbon into the soil supplying uh, microbiology with nutrition and building soils and uh, and then the springtime when that comes back out that'll that'll grow from like a like a small plant into a, a tall stalk that, that grows up to this cereal stalk and I'll come through and roll that down or mow that down and that will become my mulch that protects my soil and at the same time because rye has an allopathic effect where it kills other seedlings and plants that are trying to grow around it it'll knock out weeds at the same time so multiple multiple goals uh, all targeted from from one cover crop in a seamless system is where I'm trying to go um, and I'm sure I'll stumble a few more times along my way as I kind of find my way to do that on my scale and on my soils and space but uh, so that's that um, yeah uh, Francomi D I'm curious uh, if you're still here uh, what part of the country are you in or what part of the world are you in I guess I should ask and I'm gonna go over here and check on the uh, the TFR chat because I haven't been paying attention to this uh, ah Jennifer White welcome to the TFR live chat <coughs> uh, thanks for coming over and joining us uh, appreciate it so uh, that's I guess mostly all about my cover cropping kind of stuff for now I guess that kind of covers that I think I kind of did uh, foliar feed systems uh, yes thank you bomber time check says uh, we got a break in about two minutes so I got about two minutes to blabber at you about whatever <coughs> Uh, Pacific Northwest, okay. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> that's a beautiful, uh, beautiful part of the country. Um, and I think it's similar zone, mostly similar climate zone to where I am here in Tivoli, New York. I'm in zone 5B at 42 degrees north. Um, I, uh, I like New York summers. I like our falls and springs. Do not like our winters at all um, <clears throat> but you know uh, but that is that and uh, so uh, let's see I guess uh, I'm just gonna say uh, we're streaming here on TFR live uh, we're also streaming on my YouTube channel the pharmacy seeds network that's F-A-R-M-A-C-Y as in let food be thy medicine and uh, I want to say a special thank you to my friend Brent from the paranormal portal for uh, helping me uh, get all this stuff together and become part of the TFR family so if you're not familiar with the paranormal portal please do go over and check out the paranormal portal uh, Brent puts on an excellent show and he's uh, always uh, investigating really interesting paranormal stuff and there's a great family of people over there so i hope you go check them out 
and uh, I think I hear the music coming, so uh, we're going to a break. Alright, welcome back to TFR Live. This is Comrades and Farms with Carlton Moore. Uh, also streamed on the Pharmacy C's Network YouTube channel. Pharmacy as in F-A-R-M-A-C-Y as in let food be thy medicine. This is my first ever show here on TFR Live, so I want to say thank you very much to the TFR family for hosting me and uh, including me in this wonderful group of people and hosts. Alright, uh, so uh, in the YouTube chat we were discussing uh, fungi a little bit, or uh, we are sort of discussing it during the break here, and uh, I wanted to kind of jump into fungi for a little bit because uh, fungi is a whole other interesting topic and very closely related to uh, regenerative agriculture and human health and so many of these other pieces we talk about. Um, so I saw a talk from a man named Paul Stamets, uh, I think it was probably about five years ago, might be more now. Um, it's called Paul Stamets, The Future is Fungi. I'm pretty sure it's still available here on YouTube. It's about an hour and 15 minutes or an hour and 20 minutes. Thank you, Geeky Gardens, for sharing that in the YouTube chat. Much appreciated. Um, and uh, maybe we'll share that over at the, uh, at the TFR family chat as well so people can check it out. Um, yeah, let me do that quick. Oh, yeah, of course. YouTube. Yeah, uh, anyway. Um, or no, I can't seem to delete that message either. Um, anyway, uh, I'll just open this link again. I, I apologize. I'm uh, trying to share a link. And uh, oh, that's the link to uh, fungi feature uh, fungi.com. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, check that out. That's Paul Stamets's website. It's fungi.com. Uh, anyway, Paul Stamets uh, is the world-leading mycologist researcher and some of the discoveries that he's made are just fascinating. Um, he's actually been issued several patents uh, under the U.S. Department of Defense uh, for human health and for uh, immunity. And uh, man, he's been through a really interesting journey in his life. And I'm not going to try and sit here and tell you Paul Stamets' whole story, but uh, when he was young, uh, Oh man, yeah, I'm not even going to go into his whole story. Check out Paul Stamets and The Future is Fungi, and he's given several other newer talks on that. And uh, one of the things he's studying is fungi and its effect on honeybees, um, as well as fungi and their effect on human health. And there are actually uh, immunostimulating properties of many of these uh, mushrooms uh, are uh, very powerful tools as far as the human body goes. Um, for example, uh, lion's mane is a mushroom that grows all over North America, uh, probably all over the world, um, and it's uh, very good for rebuilding neural networks. So for people who have uh, neural damage and that sort of thing, it's fantastic for that. It's also really helpful if you're just trying to learn and get your, get your brain function to be more cohesive and more connected. Uh, it's really amazing. And I'm actually uh, taking some lion's mane here. Uh, I take one every day as part of my uh, my health regimen here and uh, the effects are very subtle 
uh, but very noticeable. You'll find your thoughts are much more collected, and uh, and things just kind of fall together uh, cohesively better. Um, but uh, you know, there's all sorts of immune uh, studies that have been done. He's got a uh, he's got several different products that are available. You can buy direct, and uh, he's given many educational talks on how to grow mushrooms. He's written several books on uh, hunting mushrooms and on growing mushrooms and myco mycoculture. Um, really interesting dude, Paul Stamets. Uh, so if you haven't checked him out, definitely check him out. Um, uh, interestingly enough, the uh, the fungi stuff actually ties into plant and soil health as well. There are many different fungi in the soils, and they inter interface actually directly to the roots of plants. Uh, one example of that is mycorrhizal fungi. Um, so mycorrhizal fungi uh, actually inhabit the tips and, and actually partially into the uh, the cells of uh, the roots of plants and they've been shown to dramatically increase uh, drought resistance, uh, nutrient availability, uh, down the list. Uh, they really incredible powerful tool and so one of the things that I use here on my farm are inoculants that include microbial fungi uh, among many other fungal components and bacterial components. Um, and interestingly enough those fungi interact with uh, different bacterial communities and so what you really have is sort of a, a living group of communities that are interacting with each other in the soil between the plants producing, uh, you know, uh, putting exudates and sugars down into the soil and feeding the microbial communities and those microbial communities feeding each other. And um, they actually did one study, uh, might be in the Future is Fungi talk, but one of the talks that Paul gives, he talks about they did a study in Russia uh, where they injected a radioactive isotope into this fungal network and they found they were able to detect it up to 20 miles away in the fungal network in real time using radios they were able to detect it like basically you put you know you put a, a nutrient into the soil here in real time 20 miles away that fungal network can propagate it so uh, mycelium are really basically the internet of the soil and so when you think about it that way, it's really fascinating. And I think he was saying that uh, like one footstep, the air, the surface area of one footstep, if you stand on a piece of soil, has like over 300 miles of mycelial web in it. So it's really fascinating. Uh, one of the other experiments they did, they used, they took a slime mold and they put it in a, um, in like a controlled experiment, uh, basically remodeling all the stop points on, I think it was the Japanese subway system. And the slime mold was able to detect these uh, nutrients in a slot in like a box. Kind of hard to explain the experiment, but they basically set it up so that the fungi was trying to find the nutrients in the box. And the nutrients in the box is set up in the map configuration of the subway uh, system for I think it was for Japan don't quote me on Japan but um, and basically the slime mold found the most efficient way to connect all those hubs uh, more efficient than the system itself that they that they actually developed they modeled this based on uh, so really interesting uh, field of study uh, not really well understood most people are you know like just afraid of mushrooms because 
they hear so many horror stories about people getting sick on mushrooms and stuff, but mushrooms are a very powerful tool. Yes, you get the wrong one, you can get very sick. If you get the right one, you can get very healthy. Um, and, I don't know, they're a really interesting uh, topic of study. And, uh, yeah, actually, uh, Geek Garden was talking about... Uh, uh, talking about uh, some fungi are the largest living organisms on Earth, and yeah, actually one of the Paul, the talks that Paul gives, uh, he goes up in an airplane, he's studying a, I forget where it is, I think it might have been Africa, or it might have been Oregon, I forget where it was, but he was studying a, a microorganism, a, a fungal organism, and he had this guy take him up in the plane, and he's looking down from the plane, and they keep circling higher and higher and higher, and he's trying to get high enough to see this whole organism and uh, basically they start to lose sight of the the, uh, the ground through the haze before they're able to, to get high enough to actually get out of sight of the organism and, and Paul was realizing that it's got to be one of the most robust living systems that are to be one cell you know it's like a one cell thick covering a 20 square mile area and uh, and you know and with all the damage and effect that it's getting from nature, it still survives. It's pretty, pretty cool perspective on it. Yeah, I think I think you're right, uh, Fracomi D. I think it is uh, the large one in Oregon. Um, anyway, uh, fascinating subject. Uh, I, like I could really just take a lifelong detour just into fungi and probably never even touch on uh, you know on all the fascinating things around fungi it's just such a, a deep and uh, just complex interesting topic um, for so many reasons um, but uh, you know we use uh, we use fungi in good farming systems as well uh, again uh, the more diversity you can have the, the better you're mimicking nature when you have diversity uh, each part of that system kind of helps regulate the other part of the system and, and that's what it really comes down to for uh, smooth functioning ecosystems where everything is healthy and when things aren't healthy one part or another of that system will take the unhealthy things out of the system and, and then the healthy things can thrive and survive an example of that is insects and pests and um, insects and diseases on plants uh, this may sound like a novel idea to you if you're not familiar with regenerative farming and, and regenerative agriculture, but if a plant has insects attacking it or has a disease attacking it, that plant is not actually truly healthy. And so the question you've got to ask yourself is, if you're eating sick plants, how healthy are you going to be? Because when you get plant health balanced correctly, those plants can defend themselves. If you get them up that plant health pyramid high enough, they can defend themselves from pests and diseases. It's really interesting, you know, plant sap analysis is a fantastic tool, but even if you just look at plant sap pH without going to a plant sap analysis step and lab and process, which is expensive, just plant sap pH can tell you what the probability of disease or insect attack will be. If plant sap pH is at 6.4, you're good. If it starts to go up, I think it's fungal diseases, and down, I think it's insect diseases, or it might be the other way around. But it's really interesting how just that little indicator can uh, can tell you so much about it. 
and uh, let's see. So Frank Comey D says he messed around with all kinds of different experiments, but he lives in an apartment in an urban area, so it's limited size. Uh, but yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah, again, you know, uh, that scale thing and, and you know, uh, the restriction of an apartment can, can be tricky sometimes. But man, you can do a lot of fun experiments in an apartment. And in a way, sometimes that can make it more fun uh, because, you know, anytime you have a more limited set of tools and a more limited environment, that's that much less that you have to, like, select around to get to what you're seeking, if you know what I mean. Um, you know, if you start taking away options and there's less to choose from, it kind of forces you down a given pathway and it kind of drives your experiments in a given direction. And sometimes that can be really helpful. Um, for example, here on, on my homesteading farm here, this microsystem, I've been really studying the microclimates here on the farm and the very... Uh, the various subtle differences between different spots in the soil and it's amazing you can see uh, huge changes in soil health in very small spaces I just put a video up uh, it was yesterday about that and it's really interesting uh, how how much it can fluctuate in such a very small area and you know it really doesn't always make sense but uh, but it's really interesting how that works So I'm going to check back in here on the uh, uh, on the TFR live chat. Uh, uh, yes, and uh, Bomber shared uh, Paul's YouTube channel, so thank you, Bomber, for the help on that. And uh, we have Drone Free Zone here, so welcome, Drone Free Zone. Looks like he's folding. Uh, I want to say that's Play-Doh, but I know it's not Play-Doh. I think that's that uh, cornstarch stuff, which is interesting to play with. <laughs> Maybe you feel a certain way in your ears, Bobber. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, and let's see. Geek Garden says, I'm in a city lot at Frank Domedy, and it has taught me a lot, too. Uh, then Frank Domedy says, Korean farming, EOS, learning how to fix broken soil. I'm glad the stream showed up on my recommendations. Uh, well, thank you, Frank Domedy. Uh, thank you very much. I'm... Uh, I'm glad to have you along, and uh, you know I, I can't wait to uh, for this uh, I can't wait for this whole th uh, new show to evolve because uh, I have some really awesome guests in mind. Uh, if I can line them up, uh, I think we're going to have some really excellent conversations. And this two hours is going to go like two minutes when we do. Um, because there's so much to talk about and so many eccentricities and subtleties of so many of these pieces. And uh, I guess I should also mention while I'm here, uh, you know, my primary focus here is agriculture, gardening, farming, human health, plant health, all that kind of stuff. But I got a whole nother range of stuff that I plan to cover on here as well. Uh, some of that is amateur radio, uh, computer programming, microcontrollers, automation, water pumping, all kinds of other stuff that, uh, that I will jump into if I, if I find there's interest, um, you know, I'll be happy to go into some of that other stuff. Uh, the amateur radio thing is a whole other exciting topic all by itself. That is something you could spend a lifetime exploring all the corners of and never touch it all. And um, 
I know my uh, my loyal fan and friend here, uh, Geeky Gardens, uh, here in the chat. Uh, he's, he's just said, "Let's talk tech." He's always ready to talk tech. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, Geeky was a coder and programmer for thirty plus years, and uh, so we always end up talking uh, technology and coding and uh, circuit design and that kind of stuff. So we can always get into that sort of stuff too. So I hope uh, I hope we'll uh, we'll have interest in that as well because. Uh, as much as I love agriculture and talking about agriculture, there's lots of other topics that I find interesting and uh, I'm certainly glad to share my knowledge and, and help uh, with that too uh, and answer questions or whatever. So, um, yeah, and it looks like we're getting some good responses in the YouTube chat here from uh, Frank Omi D and uh, YT Chris uh, both saying, yes, 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 we want to talk tech talks. So, uh, fantastic. So, uh, so maybe uh, one of my streams will go into amateur radio and I'm going to, uh, you know, how amateur radio works, licensing clubs, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and yeah, I guess I should say for those who don't know, uh, on Sunday nights at 9 p.m., I have a show. Well, it's not a show. It's a, <laughs> it's a radio net via amateur radio through our web, through our uh, amateur radio club's local repeater. The 146.805 megahertz repeater located in uh, Woodstock, New York, and uh, I run a, a farmers and gardeners net on that every Sunday night at 9 p.m. for an hour, and I also stream that live here on my YouTube channel. Um, and uh, we have a lot of really interesting discussions on there uh, as well. Um, so I hope you'll check that out as well. Um, I wish I had a way to put that stream in on uh, on TFR. Uh, maybe in the future that will work out, but for now the time schedule didn't work out on it. Um, uh, but maybe in the future we'll find a way to work that in because that's an interesting net. We always have some really interesting participants and conversations. Um, so yeah, so there's there's lots and lots and lots to discuss. So. I hope uh, hope that uh, people will uh, find this show well and interact with me and with the other users in the chats, and uh, we'll get to know each other a little bit better, and we can each uh, share with each other and share knowledge and uh, and help others uh, live a better life and and have a happier and healthier existence here on this planet. Um, so uh, let's see what else. I'm going to check back into the TFR chat and just make sure I didn't miss anybody here. Uh, uh, let's see. Oh yeah, I got some catching up to do in here now. In the TFR chat. Uh, let's see. Four inch or trunk show. Uh, <laughs> let's get drone free zone says let's get techie. Apparently he's into that stuff too. Uh, and then we got some uh, news coming in here. <laughs> Bill Gates news. I think I'll just steer clear of that. Um, yeah, I'm a terrible multitasker too, Bomber. I, uh, I have trouble uh, keeping up with one chat, let alone two. <laughs> anyway, uh, looks like things are rolling along well over there. Um, is there anything automation or or along those lines that uh, people in the chat here want to want me to talk about or discuss or jump into, I can certainly jump into that kind of stuff. Um, I'm trying to think what else uh, what else I haven't talked about yet tonight. 
trying to uh, trying to help people kind of get a better sense and feel of who I am and uh, what I'm about. Um, so there's that. Uh, let's see. We talked about fungi. We talked about bees. I talked about cover crops, and foliar feeds. Um, I guess one thing I could talk about is uh, is my uh, ram pump system here on the farm. I haven't really talked about that yet, and that always seems to fascinate people. In fact, uh, one of my friends, uh, <laughs> one of my friends uh, who's been we've been friends since we were uh, kids. Uh, <laughs> he's always telling uh, people he meets about my farming operation, how I integrate things and all. And oftentimes they'll bring him over to check it out, and uh, they always want to see the ram pump. So if you don't know what a ram pump is, a ram pump is a it's a water pump that runs using falling water, and some of that falling water pumps a portion of that water to an elevation higher than where that falling water is coming from. So basically, it uses two check valves and a pressure chamber as a shock absorber. And so water comes down the pipe and uh, it flushes down till a, till a check valve is pushed shut because the water is flowing at a certain velocity. When that check valve is pushed shut, it opens the other, the secondary check valve and lets a portion of that water through. And then that pressure and that water is pumped up to a new elevation. So my ram pump, for example, I have a spring uh, down here in the back, and it's about six and a half foot elevation from that spring to the ram pump. And so I take about 15 gallons a minute from that spring into the ram pump. And coming out of that ram pump, I get about three quarters of a gallon a minute pumped 72 vertical feet above that and about 900 feet distant to where I have reservoirs here up in the barn. And then from those reservoir, reservoirs, I can gravity feed irrigation and, and chicken water. And because it's a spring, it's drinking water also. Um, so that's a pretty cool system and a very handy tool. And it's excellent when uh, when the power goes down here and uh, and like the toilet won't flush. There's no water. There's no power. It's really cool to be able to go out to the greenhouse. And there's a solar-powered battery system there. I have lighting. I can turn on uh, Raspberry Pi and browse the internet if the internet's still up um, and do computer stuff. And I can walk out to the ram pump and get a drink of water or uh, get water to flush the toilet or wash dishes or whatever. And um, so when power goes out, it's funny because everything goes quiet for about a minute and a half or two. And then in the distance, I'm about three quarters of a mile to, from the closest houses, but in the distance I always hear those generators start up. There's no generator starting up here when the power goes off. They just go to back up, which is really cool. And the ram pump is part of that system and very reliable and uh, a really cool, uh, really cool thing. Uh, so that's another part of the farm, another part of the technical sort of stuff that I do. Um, so let's see, uh, how big are the chicks now, Geeky Garden asks. For those who don't know, I have uh, four Icelandic chicks that hatched out this spring. Uh, they're getting big, Geeky. They're, uh, they're, probably, they're probably half the size of a full-grown chicken at this point. 
uh, and their feathers are really filling out nicely. And uh, the Icelandics have this little tuft on their uh, on their head, some of them, and uh, that tuft is really filling out. And really uh, cool look. It's sort of like a 40s uh, bob sort of haircut, uh, which I'm not a fan of on people, but uh, on the chicks it looks pretty cool. <laughs> Uh, so they're doing well, they're growing big, fast, and uh, they're already starting to cause mischief digging up in uh, planters and stuff, so um, they're doing well. Um, yes, voluptuous and fluffy. <laughs> the bomber says, uh, never refer to chicks as big, cha-cha, uh, don't you know? Uh, we much we much prefer voluptuous or bless with curves. <laughs> Yeah, it's all uh, it's all tactful terminology, isn't it, Bummer? <laughs> uh, let's see, YT says, you drink spring water daily. Maybe talk about your spring water. Have you had it tested? Uh, I have had it tested uh, just for bacterial stuff. Uh, I don't think there's any chemical issues here. I probably should get it tested for chemical at some point. But uh, a friend of mine uh, had a... Uh, oh, oh, that's the music. We'll come to water when we come back. Uh, so we're headed to the break here on TFR Live, so I uh, hope you'll stick with us for our last half hour. We'll be back in about three minutes. All right, welcome back to Comrades in the Farms with Carlton Moore here on the Truth Frequency Radio. Uh, also streaming live on uh, the Pharmacy Seeds Network YouTube channel. Pharmacy spelled F-A-R-M-A-C-Y as in let food be thy medicine. Um, let's see, we were going to jump into water a little bit, I think, before I, uh, <laughs> before I jumped out to the break, and I'm just going to catch up here on the chat quickly. Um, let's see, I, I, uh, uh, my friend uh, YTFP Chris here in the YouTube chat was uh, asking me to talk a little bit about my spring water. Um, was asking if I'd had it tested. Yes, we did have it tested for uh, bacteria. I did not have it tested for chemicals. I probably should or will at some point. Uh, the lab I had access to was uh, a local uh, university, and a friend's uh, family member worked at that university and had access to the lab. So we had the testing done down there for free. I didn't have the money to do uh, testing. What I do want to do eventually is actually take a sample of that water and have it tested through advancing eco-agriculture specifically to determine whether it has carbonates and bicarbonates in it because that can dramatically reduce the efficacy of uh, foliar feeds or pesticides if you use pesticides. I don't use any pesticides. I'm very much a purist regarding that. I won't put pesticides on. Just That's a hard rule here no pesticides, no chemicals. I'm not adding anything negative to the system. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked on that. Uh, so the spring water, the tier is pretty good. Uh, there is a spring up uh, up in the Catskills, not, not too far from here. It's about 30 or 40 miles from here. It's, it's a good drive for me, so I don't get up there much, but uh, that spring water is even better. That's a really nice mountain spring water. Uh, but the spring water we have here is excellent. There's definitely a huge difference when you drink it. It's amazing when you start drinking uh, really clean, pure, uh, good waters with good water with good uh, structure to the water, which may sound kind of weird, but you really dive into water. Um, it's a fascinating topic. Um, and 
and when you have water that's structured correctly, it's amazing how fast it absorbs into your uh, body. And in fact, uh, like the spring water here, when you take a swig of it, you can feel it absorbing through your esophagus right into your system. Uh, half the time, if you, unless you're drinking it really, really fast, you don't even feel it hit your stomach. It's absorbed before it even hits your stomach. Um, so water quality is super important. Along those lines, uh, I was a guest on Brent's podcast, The Paranormal Portal, here on TFR Live and also on YouTube and all over the place <laughs> uh, podcast-wise. But I was a guest on his show back in, uh, I don't know, uh, early July maybe, end of June, uh, and we did a whole episode on water and uh, water and spirituality. Uh, but we went into many of the eccentricities of water and how the quality of water has a tremendous effect. So if you haven't checked that episode out from the Paranormal Portal, I highly recommend you go check that out because that was a really excellent discussion. We teased out a lot of the very uh, subtle details of water. And we talked about a lot of different scientists and research that, uh, that has been done and that's going on currently. And I'm sure more will be discovered as we go on. Water isn't just water. Water is a very complex topic and a very deep topic, if you'll pardon the pun. Um, it just seems, it seems like just water, but it's way, way uh, more complex than that. And we, uh, we discuss a lot of those details on that, uh, on that uh, YouTube stream and TFR stream. Uh, so let me catch up on chat here. Uh, Let's see, glasses, farm glasses, yeah, because I, uh, I misread, <laughs> I misread, I threw out an extra cha-cha in there, you know how that happens sometimes. Uh, let's see, Frank Homie D says he's looking for land to move in uh, here in Washington lately, hoping to get out of the city in the next year. Well, I wish you luck in finding land, and uh, boy, uh, land in Washington, I just, uh, I've only seen video and photos of Washington, but it just looks beautiful, it's uh, definitely Washington and Oregon, both are states I would love to visit and uh, and see the natural beauty of those uh, those areas. Uh, poor Chachi, wonder if she caught that slip, says Palmer. Uh, let's see. Um, catch up on chat here. <laughs> uh oh, they're ganging up on me. <laughs> As I threw a Chachi out there, and Kiki's backing up uh, Palmer here. Uh, and YT is open to putting bribes on picking sides. All right. Uh, well, YT, I, uh, I'll find some really good pudding for you if you jump on my side on that one. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not taking on Cha-Cha either, Geeky. I think she's got a, uh, a trick Jedi up her sleeve or something. <laughs> yeah, this is... Uh, Bomber's right. This is uh, Bomber versus Farms eyes. <laughs> I just, uh, I'm blind. I mean, I think I'm like 80-20 uh, vision or something. So, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, let me see if I can catch up on the TFR chat here. See if there's anything I missed in here. If there's any questions or anything. Uh, tighter restrictions of FCC regulations. Um, not sure what that question is about. Drone-free zone. Or maybe that's a whole different topic in the chat here. <laughs> Just trying to uh, catch up, make sure I didn't miss anything here. 
Chinese medicine chickens and uh, he's sharing some pretty cool uh, memes and gifts here in the TFR chat so uh, if you're not checking out the TFR chat you should check that out as well <laughs> and drone says oh no poison uh, distilled water is deteriorated depleted with minerals added is what I drink oh distilled water uh, with minerals added I guess that's uh, that's not too bad that's from all one here in the TFR chat make it yourself I've heard of people doing that uh, I tend to like natural source stuff better uh, like the spring waters a lot of the spring waters come with the inherent trace mineral nutrition that they've picked up from the rock that they've passed through um, but I get where you're coming from and and either way you know if you're trying to improve the quality of the water you're drinking that's good uh, first let's just get rid of things like chlorine and fluorine those are uh, super reactive compounds and uh, I don't know about fluorine, I, I don't know all that much about fluorine except that it's super reactive, but I do know chlorine, and uh, chlorine when it reacts with organic compounds creates something that's actually more toxic to humans called chloramines. Uh, so a lot of negative effects that can happen that way. Um, so let me go back over here to the YouTube chat and catch up. Okay, I think I'm caught up on that. So yeah, so water, um, what else? Anybody else have any questions? Anything else you want me to talk about? Um, I'm trying to think what else I was gonna try and cover tonight. Uh, regarding me and my my farming related stuff and uh, health and all that sort of stuff. Also, it's probably an oxidizer and causes free radicals. Yeah, uh, agreed, YT. Uh, this is on water quality. Uh, you know, also, I people swim in swimming pools with chlorine in the swimming pool, and I just think, like, there's actually a video on YouTube about that. And, and actually, that's where I came across the, uh, the chloramines issue. Um, you know, like, my mom is an avid swimmer. My mom was a competitive swimmer. Uh, in fact, in her 40s, she uh, she won the Masters competition, or won second or third place. She did really well in swimming. Uh, she was always swimming in pools. And uh, a few years ago, she came down with Lyme disease and some of the co-infections of that. She started having all sorts of skin issues. And uh, I, I kind of wondered, as I dug into it more, if swimming in the uh, in the chlorinated pool wasn't a part of that, and I still think that it was uh, a part of the issue she was having, she's since beaten Lyme with uh, some nutritional supplements and uh, some some uh, natural uh, remedies and methods, and I'm very glad for that because uh, she was struggling pretty tough with her health. She was having some really bad days, bad headaches, extreme nausea. She was on and off antibiotics. Um, she really went through quite a struggle uh, trying to overcome Lyme. And when she finally did conquer it, boy, she's feeling, looking, and uh, doing much better. Um, so there's that. Uh, and we're uh, we're here in, uh, in, well, I'm not in Dutchess County anymore. I'm in uh, the southern part of Columbia County now. Uh, but I'm like right on top of Dutchess County and for those who don't know 
Dutchess County, New York is one of the highest Lyme disease rates in the entire country and has been for a number of years. And of course now I see that Lyme is spreading all over the place. I think it's already gotten up into the Adirondacks and it didn't used to be up there. Um, so it's, you know, it's really become a huge problem. And I know plenty of other people that have been sick with Lyme knocked down by it for long periods of time and it's it's uh it's very tough to beat uh lime usually doesn't come just by itself usually lime comes with co-infections and uh and it also has the ability uh when the when you take antibiotics or when you try to attack it it has the ability to actually hide out in your cells it's really a pretty incredible thing uh, there's a man named Stephen Herod Buner who's written several books on Lyme disease and how to beat Lyme disease. Uh, he's really interesting, uh, interesting guy, excellent author, and uh, super knowledgeable on plants and uh, and plant interactions and some of the really interesting uh, smaller eccentricities about plants and plant medicinal compounds. And actually, one of his books, he actually. Uh, talks about uh, plants as they relate to consciousness and stuff. And there are some new interesting scientific studies coming out on plants and plant consciousness. Uh, in fact, there's a TED Talk where a guy, what does he do? He, he, he connects a probe to, I think it's a mimosa plant, which if you're not familiar with the mimosa plant, that's the plant where if you touch a leaf, the whole plant will droop and wilt out and then it'll spring back after a couple of seconds. <laughs> really cool plant. Um, I think he connects a probe from a mimosa to a Venus flytrap, and he's able to, to touch the mimosa, which causes the mimosa to have its reaction, and that signal is sent over to the Venus flytrap and causes the Venus flytrap's mouth to close as though there were a fly in there. Um, that's a really fascinating whole topic. Um, especially those plants that, that are actually uh, carnivore plants. And there's a whole bunch of different, like, crazy carnivorous plants like that. Uh, there's actually one, I think it's called the toilet plant, that actually, I think it catches, I think it traps rats and, and ends up, you know, using the rat for nutrition. So a lot of really fascinating things going on in nature uh, like that. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, Kiki says, I know uh, I don't want chlorine or fluoride in the water I drink. Uh, I drink from my Berkeley. Uh, that's good to filter it, um, but you should remember that even when you filter water, uh, if you go back and look at Dr. Masaru Emoto's experiments, even filtering the water didn't take the signature of the chemical in the water or take the, uh, the energetic component of the water out. Uh, so it's something to consider. Um, there is a site, at, while we're on water, I might as well mention it, there's a site called findaspring.com. And if you haven't checked it out, you should go check it out. It was started up by a man named Daniel Vitalis, and he has a podcast on wild foraging and rewilding. And uh, it's, a, it's a, just a finder site with a map, so you can find springs in your local area. And uh, the last we looked, I actually we were talking about it when we were on uh, when I was on Paranormal Portal with Brent. Um, they're mapping actually that's that map is expanded to worldwide. I think it was only U.S. and Canada before, but now it's actually they've expanded the map even bigger. Um, so that's a really handy tool. Um, I mean, I don't know. I know Geeky's in like what are you, North Central Florida or South Central Florida? 
somewhere in central Florida. So I don't know how many springs, like freshwater springs, are actually in that area just because of the topology there. Um, so it might be hard to find it. But like here in the Catskills, there's multiple springs. And in fact, uh, our family farm that we had up in uh, a town called Delhi, New York, is about 80 miles west of me here, uh, out near Oneonta, was on the east branch of the Delaware River. Uh, that had uh, springs all over the mountain of that farm. And in fact, all the water that fed uh, for that house was spring water. It was super tasty. I can remember getting up there in the summer and just like the first thing I always wanted to do was get a drink of that spring water like right away when I got there. And I can remember how good that tastes. I can still taste that water in my mind. Um, uh, anyway, so uh, the whole house was gravity fed with spring water and actually the hot water was provided by uh, an old wood stove with a water jacket in it and a hot rock lava tank. And so the whole system was grid independent. This is years back before, uh, you know, being uh, off grid was a big buzz term thing. Um, anyway, that was a really, uh, really cool experience to have grown up as a kid. And that definitely helped shape my... Uh, my interest in farming, gardening, ram pumps, heating with wood and wood stoves and all that kind of stuff. Uh, let's see. I uh, wish they had safe organism replenishment for water like they had minerals. Yeah, uh, interesting. Uh, you mentioned that YTFP, Chris. Uh, Makila Peterson just put out a video not too long ago about uh, correcting her microbiome. She, uh, for those who don't know, uh, Jordan Peterson and Michaela Peter Michaela Peterson and their whole family has had ongoing health struggles with autoimmune systems and diet. And uh, they were down at a point, I don't know what they're doing now, but I know they were down at a point to where all they could eat was meat. And anything else they ate, they would have an autoimmune response. And I don't mean like a little one. I mean like very sick, very sick autoimmune response. And she was saying that um, she had she had finally gotten a hold of this uh, uh, inoculant uh, for her gut microbiome and inoculated her gut microbiome and her health is really recovering. And uh, she did a video on how to... Uh, where, I th where to get the the microbiome you know inoculant strains and how to put them into capsules and take them and get your microbiome back on track for those who don't know about 80 percent of our immune system comes from gut health and so if you don't have the micro microbes in your gut you're not going to absorb nutrients correctly. You're going to have all sorts of problems. And so it all comes back to the microbiome. And there's another video that I just saw recently. I think it's an hour, hour and a half long. It's a talk from a bunch of scientists. I don't remember who they were, where they were from, but they're pretty well-renowned scientists. And they were they were doing worldwide, study, worldwide studies of the microbiome of the human gut. And, uh, and they, they've started to do mapping that to correlation of human health and that kind of thing. And they found some really inter interesting results, even in just their preliminary results. Uh, so that's also worth checking out. Um, watch the tick count. You need Guinness. 
Guinness, oh, Guinness Book of World Records. <laughs> I was thinking a Guinness beer would taste good right about now. <laughs> a bomber says, see Dr. Klinghart on Lyme disease. I'll have to check him out, bomber. I'm not familiar with him. Uh, <laughs> no worries, geeky. My typing's not great sometimes either. Northeast Central Florida, that's where you are, right, right. Could probably find a spring in your backyard, huh? Yeah, but would it be salt water? <laughs> and Francomi D says, just found springs in my area. Most of our serotonin comes from the gut, too. Ah, yes. Well, right. And that, that goes back to proper biology in place. Uh, you know, whether it's in the digestive tract of the human or in the digestive tract of plants, which is the soil, or in the digestive tract of a ruminant animal, or the digestive tract of a chicken or an earthworm, whatever it is, it goes back to that biology. Without that biology, uh, things don't happen correctly and nutrients aren't absorbed correctly. They're not made available and they're not absorbed. So yeah, uh, interesting, the serotonin. I had heard that before, but I haven't, uh, I hadn't studied that, you know, I hadn't chased that particular leg down very closely. Uh, but thanks for sharing that, Frank Olme. <laughs> Bomber says, Geeky, splash some water in your face and get back in the game. You got this. Uh, Geeky has, uh, has been kind enough to stay up and, uh, and stick with us uh, through this stream. Uh, I know the stream is really late for people on the East Coast uh, starting at 12 a.m. Wednesday, but uh, it was a slot that was available here on TFR Live that kind of fit my, uh, fit my schedule. Um, I do a lot of my farming at night which I know sounds really strange to people. And I always get the question, how do you see at night? If you're watching the YouTube channel, I wear something called the headlight. Imagine that, this modern device. A couple of batteries in there. Boom, good to go. I got nice bright sunlight in front of me everywhere I go. Well, okay, not sunlight, but plenty clear enough and bright enough to see what I'm doing. So uh, I have a small greenhouse here. So uh, a, a lot of a lot of my uh, evenings and nights are spent stoking the greenhouse furnace in the fall, winter, and spring, and then in the summertime when it gets really hot, I prefer to work at night because it's cooler. And uh, you know, like when I go out and do a mowing, I'm not the grass isn't get you know when I go out and mow something, that soil isn't being exposed to extreme direct sunlight right away. There's a lot of like benefits from working at night versus working in the daytime also i have a lot less interruptions working at night because everybody else has gone to bed and i can just work and that's kind of handy too um, uh, and bomber says yes direct relation between gut health and depression anxiety mental state vitamin d3 as well yeah 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 and uh vitamin d3 you should be getting that from sunlight as much as you can uh, I know for us in the Northern Hemisphere, that's really hard to do over the winter. I've actually found in recent years, if I get enough sunlight exposure, uh, I don't know if it's, well, it seemed to translate this last winter uh, on on uh, on depression. I didn't get as depressed this last winter as I have previous winters. And uh, I got a tremendous amount of sunlight last year and I still had a little bit of a residual tan even coming back into spring, so maybe that was enough to uh, to bump me up over that uh, more depressive state that I found myself in in other years when uh, 
when that sun angle goes low and I don't have access to sunlight and vitamin D, uh, it's very hard to absorb vitamin D3 in a supplement form. Uh, and uh, if you are taking a vitamin D3 supplement, make sure to pair it with a healthy fat like coconut oil or avocado oil or olive oil, something like that. Uh, vitamin D3 is a fat-soluble vitamin, and it's also a hormone, uh, also known as cholecalciferol, and it directly affects calcium absorption. Uh, I think it also affects vitamin B. It interacts with vitamin K and K2. Um, so uh, when people just take a vitamin D3 supplement, if they don't understand all these other pieces that need to be there, uh, oftentimes I, I, I hear people say, oh, I take vitamin D3, I was taking crazy amounts of it, and it just wasn't having any effect. And sometimes it'll go back to maybe you're not getting the other pieces that you need to balance that equation out. Um, or, you know, you may also have ongoing health problems. I know uh, I know a, a, a good friend of mine that has ongoing health problems, and uh, they're taking uh, high levels of D3 uh, to compensate for some of their health issues. So, um, my TFP says, we'll have a look into this microbiome. Seems there are even studies on mental health and microbiome of the gut. Yes, there are. And in fact, even some of the older psychology books go into uh, just basic nutrition. Uh, funny, uh, even before I stumbled upon this uh, John Kempf related stuff um, and, you know, regenerative agriculture and soil health and all that. Uh, my friend uh, Brian, uh, Brian Seiko, uh, had taken psychology classes in school, and uh, I had dated a girl that had some uh, some instabilities in psychology, we'll say, and uh, and he read me this whole thing out of one of his textbooks about nutrition, and uh, I, I was surprised to find how much mental health was related to nutrition, but now as my uh, my understanding of all this has evolved. It's like, oh, duh, yeah, if you don't have all the nutrients you need, how could anything function correctly? And if, if your systems aren't functioning correctly, there's no way you can have mental health and have mental clarity and have, uh, you know, all those hormones and, and all those different pieces balanced in a way that are, uh, you know, that are healthy. So, uh, yeah, super, super critical. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, vitamin D supplement must also be taken in liquid or capsule form, not powdered pills. They are not absorbed that way. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You probably could take them with that if you mixed them with a, a fat soluble, but you're you're not going to do as well. But I, I actually, uh, a friend of mine got me some vitamin D a couple of years ago for my birthday, uh, just as like a birthday gift, uh, liquid supplement. I think it was from Onnit, and Man, I was amazed at how much energy I had when I started taking that liquid supplement. In fact, I got to get back and get some more of that as winter's coming on here, because that was a really, uh, really helpful, powerful tool. I think it was like 15 bucks for like a 30-day supply. It's like, which may seem expensive, but oh, and we're coming to the music. So that is the end of our show here on TFR Live. And it just snuck up on me. Another two hours went by. Thank you so much for joining us here on Comrades in Farms. And I hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 12 a.m. Wednesday, 9 p.m. Uh, 12 a.m. Wednesday, Eastern Time, 9 p.m. Pacific Time. Thanks for joining the TFR show. And...
Thanks for being part of this stream.